church. I hope everybody's well. If you would please open uh, with me to 1 Timothy. If you go into the New Testament books, it's one of the little short ones, kind of in the middle of the New Testament. <clears throat> that way you can follow along. We're going to just uh, do a little overview of the book this morning, but uh, what we're doing today is starting a series in 1 Timothy uh, with the title, Preserve the Truth. And as we look at this book um, and look at in depth, you know, what we do uh, in our church life and our preaching <clears throat> within the church, sometimes we'll do a topical approach where we're just taking a subject and we're looking at what the scriptures say about that subject. And other times we'll invest and dive into a book of scripture to really find out what was the Spirit saying then, what is the Spirit saying today that we can uh, glean from and uh, and. The same transformative power that was there is now with us as well. So uh, we're, this is a book that I had anticipated going uh, through last fall, but uh, through series of things with um, uh, the called series that we did, lasting a little longer. Now, this is, I believe, what the Lord has for us as a church to walk through uh, and really have an understanding of what's... What's expected of us? You know, as we look at Scripture, you've got some books in Scripture. And 1 Timothy comes to, the, uh, to Timothy, Paul, the Apostle Paul's writing it to Timothy uh, while he's at the Ephesian church. And it's after the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> so the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, and he gives a bunch of doctrine and a bunch of, here's what Jesus did for you. Here's what it means for your family. Here's what it means to stand strong in the Lord, full armor of God in Ephesians 6. And this comes later after that, where Timothy needs uh, the, the church and what they would do typically, even though this book is addressed to Timothy from Paul, it was read aloud to the church. And so it had a, a distinctive role of one being to Timothy, but it was also to the church, and people would glean uh, from what Paul's instructions to Timothy were. And as we, uh, as we look at this, Paul is telling Timothy and the church, hey, make sure that, that you're not forgetting the doctrine we talked about. Make sure we don't, uh, in a quest for something new and fresh, leave the basic principles of the faith that we sink into and we, we cherish and we love and, and are still vibrant and true and alive for us today. But he says, also make sure that the church and its care for one another is caring appropriately. And, and make sure that even in the midst of culture, the church is still shining with the light of Christ. And that's what... It's what we've desired to do as a church since our, our beginning. Uh, our uh, logo of a lantern is that we want the light of Jesus to shine in everything that we do, in every category of our lives, in our, uh, our Sunday gatherings, to our, our uh, community groups where we're in fellowship with one another and seeking to grow and, and desire what God has for us, to live truly the life that he has for us. It's the most fulfilling, most satisfying thing we could ever, ever imagine. As we surrender to him, and surrender not just to him, but do God's things God's way. I think the, the history of the church, you can look at and see that it was God's people trying to do God's thing their way. And that's when things begin to drift, and they're off target. And Paul's writing to Timothy because the church there in Ephesus, was they're, they're on the verge of doing the same thing. Hey, what you started with... You're starting to add things to and change a little bit. And, you know, you get one degree off. A little while later, you find yourself way off. 
And God cares about that. He cares about the church being a, a light in the midst of darkness. And he cares about making sure that the light is not distracted from, uh, from its, its primary mission, making sure that it's, it's shining on the right thing, but making sure that it's shining as a fire that rages in the heart of God. Because he wants Jesus to be exalted in our hearts. Because when Jesus is exalted in our hearts, guess what? We're settled. And even though uh, seas rage and foam and everything could be breaking down around us when we know that God is God and he is our God, settles our hearts to where there's an assurance and a steadfastness in our own souls that says, but I have God. Even though the earth gives way, I've got the Lord. I've got him. And so Paul's commending to Timothy was to make sure that there was a preservation of the truth. And it's almost as if the, the lantern in our logo is the church is the lantern for that light to shine. And this book is a helpful understanding, for, a reminder for the church to be that encapsulation of the light of Christ so it shines and it, it goes to the far ends of the earth. You know, because whatever, whatever God does starts small, it gets big. And we want to make sure that we are obedient in what God's calling us to do to make sure that, line, that light shines really brightly through our own hearts, through our own, our own souls as well. All right, we turn to first letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll just read the first two verses of chapter one. And we'll give a, a brief overview in this of what the book entails and what's ahead of us. The word of God says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, even as we consider a greeting, an introduction to a letter that was written 2,000 years ago, that we would have understanding of what, how your spirit wanted to uh, capture Timothy and capture the church there in Ephesus, but also to transform us today. Because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, we ask for your, your grace to be upon us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We like to play games at our house. And sometimes... When others join us, there may be a little difference in how we play the game. Maybe a different way to... Uh, here's, here's the example. We play Uno a lot. And in Uno, the, I did go back and look up the rules. When you don't have the particular card, all you have to do is take one card. And we find that that is not a good way to play. Because we like to rub it in when we don't have that suit or the, the color or the number. And so what our house, our house rule is that you keep on taking cards until you get a card you can play. It's beautiful. <laughs> Teaches humility in a moment. Because it's especially when it's Uno. 
and somebody's thinking, we, they're, they're, we've been known to cheat with one another as well and pass cards to make sure that that person can't win. And so we have these epically long Uno games. And they're great. But that's, it's kind of a, a house rule that we have, that in Uno, you just keep on taking a card until you can play a card. Well, if there's a disagreement in how we're doing things, maybe somebody's new, <coughs> excuse me, our uh, daughter and her family were in from Massachusetts uh, a few weeks ago, and we were playing, and they only take one card each. I said, all right, our house rule is that you keep on taking the cards. Katie said, no, but we just do one card. And she's looking at me like, we play with kids. I'm like, I know. Nathan's with us all the time. He understands our house rules. You keep on going, pal, till you get the color of the, the card you need. So we, we adjusted, but I got to, because it's our house, I got to say, all right, we'll just take one card. I'll be sympathetic to my grandchildren, okay. And not rub it in too much. <laughs> but as, as, we, as we play those things, uh, as we do the house rules, if we look at, at 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his, his ministry apprentice. He's passing on ministry to Timothy. Timothy has, has been with him uh, through missionary journeys. He picked up Timothy on his second missionary journey through Lystra. Uh, and, and Timothy has grown up. He was probably late teen, early 20s when Paul first got him. And then Paul said, I want to take you with me on these missionary journeys. And then he put him in churches to help establish those churches. And the church in Ephesus was one of those places that he left Paul. But he gives... In his letter to Timothy, he gives some house rules. Because, you know, uh, in Uno, when, when we have to take a card until we can play a card, that's our house rule. And the house gets to determine if you, if you don't have to play that rule. And Paul's giving some instruction to Timothy to say, look, here's, here's some, some rules that need to be in the household of God. And in this letter, Paul addresses some situations where people were bringing in different rules different teachings that were dislodging the church from its, its original purpose, its main design. Because listen, when we begin to add rules to God's established rules for the church, we get something other than God desires. But what really happens is people start majoring on the minor things and forgetting the major things. The church is God's idea. He's the one that, that started it. He's the one that preserves it. He's the one that has collected his redeem into a place intended for a specific method of love and care. The church is to be loving toward one another that is so unique that it shines in the midst of a, a dark, very dark and lost world. And God expects his specified method to be honored in order for the gospel to be preserved and to be powered to light the earth. God wants his church, the gospel that encapsulates the church, that lantern with that flame to shine bright wherever it is. The church in Ephesus has deviated off path. This book comes after the book of Ephesus, the letter written by Paul to the Ephesian church. This is after that. Paul sends Timothy after that letter. But it's... The Ephesian church has, has deviated off path a little bit because they're trying to mix some new and fresh things in an effort to make the church more exciting. We know what that feels like. 
Because we, you do the same thing over and over again, and you hate it. Familiarity breeds contempt. I just, I hate doing the same thing over and over and over again. But in doing this, they've wandered from the main reason of why they're a church, really, and, and that's the danger of wandering from the faith. There are clues in this letter that seem to indicate the people in the church have taken cultural perspectives and some Old Testament rules, and they're blending them together to have a new, fresh teaching in the church. And the expectation God gives for the church are to obey. God says, obey me, because it, it pertains to life and conduct that is to shine through the church to make the church separate, different, unique. Not unique because it's some, some cool take on God. Unique and because the love that we experience from God and we share with one another shines the brightest in our dark and dreary world. Our conduct as a church should reveal that we are actually countercultural. For the past close to 50 years, the church has been taking clues on how to love one another from the culture rather than the church loving one another so obediently and uniquely by God's design that it sets an example for the, the world to see what love really is. And so now in some, in some ways, the church is trying to play catch up to what love is. And so we have a culture that says love is love when the scriptures say God is love, but we have a church that doesn't know how to describe or live as God is love. So the the world understands, the culture understands, wait a minute, if love is love, it's just, it's circular. That's not what God wants because we're to find our everything in him. We live in a world that is seeking to make up the rules and have everybody obey the rules. Even God obey. We, we live in a culture that says, I think life should be like this and God should obey it. But we know from scripture that's not what God's design is, but we also know that that desire for God to obey our rules is as old as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because that's what they did. God, I don't think I like your rule. I think I want to eat of that fruit, that tree right there. So God, I'm going to eat of that tree, and uh, I think now I have some opinions about you and how you should relate to me. Paul lays out in this letter to his, his son in the faith, that the church is to live out God's loving rules to continue to shine with, shine with the light of the gospel. This book is part of the Bible that makes up the pastoral epistles, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. It's, it's Paul telling his ministry apprentices, here's how, here's how the church gets to be the church, and make sure that you're paying attention to these things. It's a book for pastors, but it's also a book for the church. Pastor Paul has written to Timothy in the church that he served in by the Spirit's power. And he's also written to me, to you, by the Spirit's power. And the truths and principles out, outlined in this letter, they transcend time frames. We don't have to put new twists on old things. We get to celebrate old things because when we do that, we find that it has a fresh awareness and amazement of God's love and grace for us today. I believe this is an important book for us today. 
uh, in the life of our church, in, the, in, our, in our lives as we live out gospel-centered life. Uh, this is important for us today because as a church, we are now eight and a half years old. Trying to math. Math's not my strong suit. I had to figure that out a little bit. Uh, we are a church at eight and a half years old, and what we, what we have been doing for the past few years is identifying uh, a, a local eldership for us. We have a provisional elder uh, from our sister church across the lake, and what we are desiring to do is formalize the leadership and formalize the establishing of elders and deacons uh, in this church. And this is a wonderful way for us to all be on the same page as we get to chapter 3. It's about overseers and deacons. <coughs> But this is also a great book about how we're to love one another in the midst of a culture that has some weird ideas about God and how to love one another amidst the church culture that is increasingly having differing views about God's love and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. As we look at the opening of the letter in just these two verses, we start where Paul starts. He starts with the gospel of Jesus. We never outrun, we never outwear, and we never outthink the gospel. We never outrun, we never outwear, and we never outthink the gospel of Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the, the, the church in Ephesus, they needed that reminder. And we need that reminder as we listen to Paul's charge to Timothy, which is the charge to the church. All right, took a little longer on that intro because there was more introduction to the series and to the book, but here's our main point for today. This letter is a manual for believers to steward the gift of the church. Remember, this is not our idea, it's God's idea. But we want to steward this gift in order to preserve the legacy of the gospel. You know, we want... By God's grace, a bit weepy today. I don't know why. Um, we want our kids to thrive in gospel life. That's what we desire. I heard one one time several years ago that in. Uh, the first generation, the gospel is cherished because it's been experienced. But in the second generation, the gospel becomes assumed. Where we think we know what we're talking about. And in the third generation, it becomes forgotten. It's our desire as the people of God, but specifically as the church of God and this local expression of the church of God that we would be blessed to see the gospel go to generation, to generation, to generation. Not in the quest to seek something new, but in the quest to honor God with everything that we are. So here are, we look at the people of the letter, who's involved in this. Uh, the second point, the message, what is Paul getting across? And then thirdly, the center of the message, which is the gospel there. No anticipation there. That's <laughs> what we celebrate. So who are the people of this letter? Paul, 
The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul by the command of God. Uh, the apostles in the early church, uh, the 12 that were with him, uh, that were with Jesus, but also Paul, who Jesus uh, revealed himself to on the road to Damascus, they weren't elected. They were chosen, and they were called by the resurrection of Jesus himself, but they were called by the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appeared to Paul. So Paul's apostleship is because Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, knocking him to the ground, saying, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, who are you? He knew who he was. He just knew he, he got God, what he knew in that moment. He says, Jesus is right here in front of me. So we have Paul the apostle writing to Timothy, who's the pastor in several different locations. Uh, Timothy was a disciple from Lystra, whom Paul met on his second missionary journey. We have that in Acts 16. Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers. I love the picture of the transference, the, the generational transference of the gospel. But Timothy's father was not a believer. And many of us can relate to that. Many of us can relate to parents where we have one believer and one unbeliever. Uh, Paul's mother was Jewish, but his father was a Greek which means he was mixed ethnically. He was ethnically mixed, but he was also, because he was mixed, he was looked down upon by the Jews because he was a half-breed. He was discipled by Paul. He, he, uh, in the second missionary journey, Paul takes him and says, I want you to come with us. And he worked with him for a long time, began as a late teen, and now, at this point, he's in his mid-30s. Timothy's probably... Uh, writing, he's probably written Paul uh, of some situations, asking some questions, and that's why this letter is a response most probably to Timothy's situation. Paul commends Timothy several times into courage in his leadership. So we, we kind of look at Timothy maybe as this timid, weak, can't think for himself kind of guy, but I think we cut his, the reality very short. Uh, for Paul to trust to leave a man in a location for years to establish the church, the dude was a strong man in character. But maybe, maybe he didn't know how to combat things. Maybe there was discouragement that he bumped up against that so many of us know. But Paul tells him he commands, teach, don't let others despise you. All of these things are in this letter to Timothy. But maybe Timothy, after uh, trying to combat the situation in the Ephesian church, uh, was just timid with the task, just not knowing what to do. Timothy also had physical issues. In the end of the book, in chapter 6, we find that he's got frequent stomach issues. Like, wow, we can relate. We relate with Timothy. But Paul called him his true child in the faith in verse 2. There's a reason for that precision. My true child in the faith. We have Paul, we have Timothy, then we have the, we have the Ephesian church. The city that Paul worked the most with during his missionary journeys. Many had come to Christ through Paul's preaching. Uh, he probably ordained the elders in that church himself. And there was a special relationship between Paul and the church that we see in Acts 20 as Paul uh, is bidding them farewell on his journey back to Jerusalem because he said, I know that chains await me there. 
Ephesian elders actually tried to talk him out of going to Jerusalem, thinking that, Paul, we need you, the church needs you. And Paul says, why are you breaking my heart like this? This is God's church. He doesn't need me. He'll raise up other people. But he was ultimately put in prison, which is where he wrote the letter of Ephesians. And this comes after that letter. We learn from his letter to the Ephesians, which it's our book of Ephesians, that the believers in the church had a knack for highlighting the separation between Jews and Gentiles. They were probably kind about it, but to let everybody know, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, there needs to be a separation. But we know what the gospel does is it removes separation and it brings things in. So possibly they, were, uh, they knew that Timothy had a Gentile father, a Greek father, so maybe they weren't as uh, readily available to his teaching. Like, yeah, what you say is good, but who it comes from, your lineage, makes it a stumbling block. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy and to the church, saying, hey, God called Timothy to be there. Listen to him. Now, the church may have been looking down on Timothy's leadership due to his mixed ethnicity. He really, legally, he was illegitimate as a Jew. And it, perhaps the church was fixated on that. And Paul used the occasion of this letter to legitimize Timothy's leadership in the church. He was a true child of God by faith in Christ, so his ethnicity, it didn't matter anymore. And Paul is, is underlyingly letting everybody know, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to combat what he prophesied in Acts 20, that false teachers would arise from within the church, and there would be a love of money, a love of stuff. Sometimes those would be combined. So that's why Paul sent Timothy, left him there, sent him there in order to combat what he knew was coming. So that is the people of the letter. The message of the letter is found in 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. You see from that wording that the the church encapsulates the gospel, the truth. It encapsulates the light of Christ. So the message of the letter is guard the truth. Guard the truth defensively. Combat false teaching and correct false teachers. But it's also guard the church offensively. Live the truth and live in the good order of the truth. As the church lives out the faith, the truth is preserved and the truth is proclaimed. See, when we do things God's way, we get God's results and God's blessing. When we try to do God's things our way, we will always fall short and get frustrated with God as if he never shows up for us. God, I'm doing this your way. And God comes to us and says, that's your way. This is a way for us to know as the church how how to do things God's way to get the results that God promises. But there is the message, is guard the truth, but the message is also steward the church. The church is to be stewarded, to be cared for, and to be protected. So here's a, a theme we'll walk through. You see in your notes, walk through these captions, uh, and these will, these will highlight uh, the next the sermons for the series. Uh, the first thing is doctrine. After this greeting, it's doctrine. 
1 Timothy 1.3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's a big task for Timothy. But there's doctrines that are creeping in. There's beliefs about God and who we are and our relationship to God. Those are doctrines that they were creeping in and they were disturbing faith. Then faithful love. Steward the church in faithful love. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Salvation, 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Everybody should feel the weight of that statement. I am the foremost. See, what we try to do is try to look at other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, I'm not as bad as that person, I'm not as bad as that person. And we, we have this weird hierarchy that we have in our minds. But when we look at Jesus, we recognize, yeah, you're the best. I'm the worst. But that's who God comes to. He came into the world to save us. Then we move into chapter 2, and there's a heavenly citizenship. 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, for kings and all who are in high positions uh, these pray for kings and all who are in high positions that, they, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. God has ideas about how we're to live in this life in, in the midst of, uh, this was a, a culture that was not a democracy. We have to be careful to make sure that we don't think that all of the scriptures are about living in a democracy. It's a very new thing, right? As in 244 years. Bicentennial boys, so I did the math real quick. We have to remember that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Continually, in every generation. So we are to lead peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. That informs how we're to be in the church, but also as a, a preservation for the truth. Then we get to a topic of the created order. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. How about that one? Had to throw that in there. What does that mean? I'm not going to tell you yet. You got to wait. I, I, I will say this. I think that's a very misunderstood verse. This is why. Men walk away from that with pride. Women walk away with that with pity. And then nothing's ever done. When you can look, the scripture is replete with women who love God and speak up. It's awesome. So what do we do with that? I'll tell you when we preach it. Then he addresses leadership. First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. What do we do with understanding leadership within the church? Paul takes a lot of time to describe that. But then he goes to say the truth is what's being preserved. So in our relationships, in our everything, the truth is preserved. First Timothy 3.15, if I delay... You may know how 
how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, and a pillar and buttress of the truth. And there's the devotion that Paul gets into, the stewardship of devotion. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And there's the the stewardship of the heart. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. By doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. There's a stewardship of relationships. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. In our relationships within the church, there's, there's an idea, there's a household of God preservation in order for us to love one another, to be lights for others to see, the lost to see, and to come in and say, I need that, I need that truth. But then, it's to be a huge one. Contentment, stewardship of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do we know what it means to be content in a world that continually, in a culture that continually throws things at us to convince us that we are not content? We don't look right, we don't have the right stuff, so obviously we're nothing. When in Christ we have everything. And then a reminder of our mission, a stewardship of the mission that we have. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Look, there's a, there's a weary pastor named Timothy in the church of, in Ephesus. And Paul has to say, keep going, fight that good fight. Take hold. There's an eternal life that is to motivate you and inspire you and to carry you in this life. That is the, what did I say at that point? was the message of the letter. Quick outline there. And then we have the center of the letter, which is found in the end of verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are three words that encapsulate the gospel for all of us. Grace has come to us from God the Father Well, we didn't ask for it, we didn't want it, we weren't looking for it. Grace came in Jesus. Mercy has come to us through a crucified and risen Savior. Mercy has come to us, so our relationship with God is then restored. We're running far from him. His grace comes to gather us back, to recognize who Jesus is and the mercy that we need. And by trusting in Christ, we receive that mercy and we walk with him in peace. Peace is now our reality with God, and peace is now our reality with one another. But there's a, there's a theme of gospel centrality that the church, the church back when the church in Ephesus, this church here in our context, we need to stay on the gospel at all times. Because there was a wandering from it, seeking a new teaching, seeking a new perspective, a new this or a new that. And it was really, it was, it was denying the grace that God had for his church. See that, I heard this 
Years ago, I have no idea who said it. That's, that's the part of my ministry that I'm in. I just forget who said it, but I remember what was said because that impacted me. So this is, <laughs> this is a quote from somebody somewhere. The first generation experiences the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. The third generation forgets the gospel. That goes back to the beginning of what I said, that if we don't have a gospel transference where it's alive, but we experience it, and, and our, our children don't just hear about it, but we, we seek and pray for them to experience that grace. Now, God keeps, he's kept his church this long. So we can't get under the weight of, if I don't do this, everything's gone. No, don't, no doomsday things, but we don't want to use that as an excuse to do nothing. It's God, by his spirit, wants to empower us and fuel our mission. The gospel is the reason we're here. Gospel's the reason we're here. And the gospel is the fuel of our mission. The gospel's the fuel of our mission because the fire burns. I think by our obedience, it burns brighter and rages for others to see, for others to know. So I, I pray for us as we go through this series that we would be We would be on task to understand where our hearts are wandering. So they would be brought back to the grace and peace of God. So we will live out our days on fire for him. Experiencing his grace, his mercy, and his peace. All right. We're gonna, I'm going to remind you of our commission, but... Please don't say it. We're all creatures of habit, and we always want to say things because we hear them. Let's hear this. I, I'm, I always have a concern that when we do things long enough, I grew up in a, a, a faith tradition that it was very um, repetitious. Thank you, Mom. Like all the reciting. What's another word for recite? We recited a lot of things but it disengaged from my heart. I still can recite all the prayers. I still have them in my mind. It's bizarre. I prayed to receive Christ when I was 11 years old. I'm 44. That's a long time to still have that indoctrination. It's bizarre, but I do. Go to a funeral of that faith tradition, and I still know all the responses. They changed them a little a few years ago, so they tricked me. But... If we're just saying something, it disengages the heart. Let's listen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why does that matter for us right now? Because as we go through this book in 1 Timothy, as we go through this letter of Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, we need to be reminded there's, there's intricacies that come along the way and there's ways that the gospel infuses and intrudes. But it's all for the sake of Jesus. So we would obey him in making disciples, baptizing. We have to have 
some inward. You have to have some details to help us out. That's what this letter will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And God, thank you that you, by your spirit, you, you, you uh, start an engine, so to speak, that, that begins to rev. Lord, we want to apply some gas to that engine and feel what you're doing through us as we enter this study. We want to preserve the truth, God. We want to experience the truth and we want to pass on the truth. That is the preservation of the truth. So God, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? as we love one another, and as we seek to love you with everything that we are. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You be blessed.